0: Welcome to episode 2 of the GamerCast It publishes on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify every single month. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for rating the show on iTunes, or whatever Apple calls it now. And for sharing and everything else you guys do. You are absolutely amazing. And thank you to everybody who is supporting us over at patreon.com slash yumi capri. We're going to start things out with a big thank you to our Diamond Executive Producers. You guys get a t-shirt every month. Robert Bobby Miller, Corey Hicks, Lee Navarro, Travis, and Jonathan Brown, are Platinum Producers, Mr. Moody, and Mr. and Mrs. Nasty and Tammy Boots, and all of our gold gentlemen and gentle- ladies. Nope, just gentlemen. Oh, no, and gentlelady. Don Becker, uh Ryan Turfer, Tim Eigendorf, Hyruly and Julian, Sheldon Benedict, James Johnson, Dr. Doom, Andrew uh, Semichek, and Brendan Myers. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely amazing. We're here. The official episode two. We had a two-episode June kick things back off with the GamerCast. We are finally... This is resurrected. I think this is official. We the GamerCast was a, a show that ran for about 180 episodes. We are back with the new and I guess maybe somewhat improved um, monthly show, the GamerCast, uh, and if you're new, guys, here's the deal. Every month, I have sweet hangs with a stranger from the internet, and we talk about life and video games, and if you want to be on the show or just support it, you can tweet at me, at Sean Capri. It's Sean, like Connor Capri, like the pants. Many of you have already done this. Many people have reached out to me and to Ed Placentia, who was my guest not once but twice last month, an amazing man. Ed Placentia, I, if you guys missed it, and if you're here... Because of this month's guest, I do encourage you go back, episode one and episode one, part two, really, really great stuff. We have a different type of conversation coming up with the absolute legend, Victor Lucas. This is, uh I might just shut it down after this, guys. Ed and Vic, Uh, this is, I don't know if it gets any better than this. This is kind of, um when you start doing this, you dream of these moments. When you watch Victor Lucas on Reviews on the Run and EP Daily and you see the question of the day. Show up at the end. You're like, man, wouldn't it be amazing to have a question of the day show up on, on that show? Now, that would be great. That was once the dream. Well, I asked, I asked a few questions of Vic and we're going to get to that in just a second. I want to give a very quick and somber shout out to my good friend, Jace Plays Games. Um, he lost his dad this week. I, I think everybody can, uh, just show him some love over on Twitter at Backeridge. Uh, is it Backeridge? Dang it. Dang it, Jace. I wasn't even going to do this, but I really just B A K. A-R-I-D-G-E. I think I spelled that right. I didn't even look that up. Jace, um, I'm with you, man. And I'm really sorry that that, it's been a, it's been a tough week, but, um, hopefully the community is around you. I am with you. I'm thinking about you. I went to bed the other night just thinking about you. I hope that sounds okay to say. Jace, um, hope you're well, my friend. Chris Berto, we're doing a fundraiser for Chris Berto's wife. At the time of recording this, we have raised more than $2,000. Really amazing stuff. Uh, a few friends were, are streaming and we're matching donations. Really a, an amazing effort, uh, for Chris Berto. And uh, I hope you're doing well as well, dude. So a lot of just really amazing stuff going on in this community. If you guys are new to this, then stick around because this is a good... we got a good group. we got a lot of positive stuff going on and a really good episode that we're not going to really waste any time uh, babbling on. Sometimes I go on for a bit, but we're going to jump right into this. Uh, July's episode, episode number two, is with none other than Victor Lucas. And I wanted to talk to him about more than just, hey, what was it like to do TV kind of thing. So I wanted to uh, jump into things like his TED Talk, what it's like to be a parent and then where we're going in this industry what it's like to be a a person who comments on this industry i want to dive in a little bit on that this is an absolute dream come true so thank you to victor lucas for for making this happen and for everybody who's gotten me to a point where uh, somebody like victor lucas can answer my dms that is amazing if you're not already guys please follow and subscribe over at youtube.com slash ep network tv and follow him on twitter at victor underscore lucas so let's just jump right into it here he is mr victor lucas I was, I was doing a refresher on your the TED Talk that you did back in 2012 and preparing for Ruby to be born. I think you yeah. just found out that you were having a daughter at the time. Yep. Yeah. And um, I sort of wanted to ask you a little bit about that. This is pretty much the show, okay? Like, there's no like, there's no intro or anything. I kind of do like a Mark Merritt kind of just running intro, um, okay? And then kind of introduce it post. Um, but I sort of wanted to start there because I uh, I was watching. A TED talk from 2012 and as a new parent myself i thought it was really interesting um anytime somebody prepares for their first child by writing them a letter and i'm always curious like how how that turns out is that something that since then it's been your since, daughter's since, since, turning 7 uh have you told her about that she would she would well understand that have you have you talked to her about that letter
1: i i told her about it yeah I I think a couple of years ago but I haven't like she's a very different person now at seven yeah and so I haven't talked to her again and what is amazing when you watch your child grow up is they become different people it's like it's like they shed years and it's almost like they're shedding skin in a way and they're becoming new human beings you know as they they synthesize all of the information around them and, and uh, um, they just sort of claim their own identity piece by piece and uh, it's it's really a fascinating thing to watch. You, you know, nobody tells you how quickly they, you know, all of these things that we associate with them being a baby and yeah, um, you know, it, it's all over very quickly. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's, there's a lot of, um, I guess it's a lot of it is tied to marketing and a lot of it is tied to, uh, uh, you know, getting you excited as anybody would be about the, the birth of your child and all of the advertisements and all of the the stuff that you see in media around being a first time parent, but it, it just changes so quickly. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you have a new person with you all the time, you know? And the routines that you hang on to when they're one and two and like they're they just they're they end, you know, yeah. and like you walk past the the uh, like a preschool that they went to. And, and it, <laughs> that just seems like so long ago already, you know, I know and it, it's amazing from kin- from kindergarten to grade one, how different this little human being is, you mm-hmm. know. And she's just she's finishing grade one, and she's all prepped, prepped and primed to go into grade two. Uh, she's taking French immersion, so she's learning another language that neither her mother and I can really speak fluently at I all. I love she, it. I love and, it. And so she's eclipsing us with uh, her understanding of uh, you know terminology in a different language, which is surreal. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's incredible, and it and it it it, it, it doesn't cease to be this this unending, um, education mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, a lot of, a lot of gifts, you know, like you're a parent as well.
0: Yeah. Um, my wife and I have a, our two year old is Lincoln and we named him Lincoln so we could shorten it to link. And cool. then uh, our daughter is seven months old and she, her name is Ellie. And we'll see how that naming turns out but, maybe sometime <laughs> next year.
1: That's amazing.
0: Uh, neighbor after some <laughs> murderous psychopath. I'm not really sure, but I think there's probably a good Ellie out there somewhere in, in case that one falls through.
1: Um, well, the, the 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 core of Ellie is pretty pretty damn incredible. So those yeah. are great names. Yeah, the, great you names. know the
0: savior for for the human race. I think in both in the hero in both senses. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting because I, uh, I think back to when Lincoln was first born and just trying to survive like the hospital, you know, like those first couple of days, and you're just like, there's no sleep and it's, it's harder than you ever imagine. And there's, there's tubes and wires and tests and everything else happening. You're just trying to get out of there. And so you kind of create like these checkpoints. I don't know about you, but like I sort of like gamify everything in life
1: mm-hmm. where I'm like,
0: there's always like, there's progressions, there's leveling up, there's, there's checkpoints and there's, but there's sort of like, real life, um, consequences as well. So, yeah. I just, but you're right. Like you can never, you can never really go back even, even going back. I guess to that, the you,
1: that's a great analogy. The kids are, are leveling up. They're constantly leveling up in, in their role-playing game and you're sitting there, you know, once, once you become a parent, you're, I think you're trying to create a sense of stability and normalcy Mm-hmm. And routine.
0: <laughs> just to survive, man.
1: Yeah, to survive, but also to create that, that um, sense of place and safety for your child. Mm-hmm. And in the process, you become ri- ridiculously boring, you know, yeah. and you, you have to, because, you know, like, I have a pretty interesting job and I I have lots of benefits being able to travel and all that stuff. And my kid is acutely aware of that. And she actually uh, benefits from some of the travel and all that stuff too. But the core routine of me playing games and and dropping her off at school and uh, prepping for shows and shooting, like there's a, there is a routine there that she can just point at and say, well, this guy, he just does the same thing all the time. Meanwhile, she is, she's in uh you know a bunch of different programs she's got you know trying to get play dates going every single day she's got camping scheduled and you know and then she comes on our travel adventures and stuff too. She has a pretty amazing life Definitely. and a lot more yeah and a lot more um uh coordinated and scheduled i think than than uh than my mom was able to do when she mm-hmm. was raising us but it wasn't the it wasn't the time to do that stuff back then. She really, you know, I think uh, people, kids of our generation, really, uh, I'm saying of my generation, I'm, I'm a different generation than you, but kids, <laughs> kids of my generation were, you know, we just get out of the house and go have fun. and Don't, don't be brought home by the police. Okay. Right. And, and, uh, and so we were left to our own devices to kind of, you know, tackle boredom mm-hmm. and, and kids today don't have, a second of being bored you know whether they're overly scheduled or there's just over stimulation in a million different directions
0: do you think that Uh, like there'll be a time where we look back on this because that's we may be of different generations but i think that that's been a thing for kids for a number of years now of just like this mm -hmm. these crazy schedules and in canada it's very common for kids to be put into something like hockey very early and that's sort of like that's always the sport that has kids on the ice like five or six times a week. And that's kind of just baseline. That's not even if you're really gunning for it. Sure. But now that's sort of gone everywhere. That's sort of like if you're in gymnastics or if you're just going out to the field or just any, ev- there's schedules for everything. And I wonder, um, it seems like things kind of swing back and forth in terms of no supervision or planning to like over supervision and over planning. Like, I just kind of wonder how this is going to, balance out in the end
1: well i think we you know and this is sweet irony coming from a guy that's been able to have a career talking about entertainment for 25 years but i think we are over entertained and i you know i I don't agree with bill bill maher's uh, characterization of stan lee and and uh, um there's a an infantile mentality and that we're all sort of just you know pacified by our 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 quest for superhero stories and stuff like that um i don't i don't subscribe to that philosophy but there's the root of truth in there and you know what has happened for people of our generation is a wonderful thing is Mm -hmm. that the uh, uh idea of um you know, quote, unquote, kind of nerdy entertainment um, has become the mainstream. And the people that grew up with the genre stuff, quote, unquote, genre stuff, um, assumed positions of control over the types of content that we were going to consume. And what really happened is there wasn't a lot of weight put on these projects by studio heads and the network heads. Uh, back in the day because they never knew what was going to register. They never knew what was going to be consumed by the public. And there was always this shock as, you know, Star Wars would come out and be a blockbuster success and uh, Planet of the Apes and Jaws and Close Encounters and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so slowly but surely these things that seemed kind of risky and weird and very different from... um, you know the the entertainments of the '60s and '70s, which were a little bit more about uh, um, a slice of real life, a slice of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, all of this fantasy became in- incredibly important in storytelling. And then, so consequently, what what has happened through that is there's been now entire generations of content creators that have grown up with that as you know, as their ammunition for what they want to put out into the world. And it's never ending. And so uh, in addition to the passion that those projects from the 80s and 90s kind of really pushed into the modern day content creators, whether they're in games or movies or television shows or streaming or whatever, in addition to all of that, the data revolution happened as well. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly all of these book uh, keepers and accountants and, um, you know, literal and figurative programmers, uh, of entertainment, um, started to understand algorithmically what people are going to get hooked on. And, you know, that's why we have binge watching and all that stuff. But so much of that stuff is, is so is in that sweet wheelhouse of that, that eighties kind of like drip feed that we used to get, you Mm -hmm. know? I grew up in the 80s and I used to read Starlog magazine and uh, and I'd wait. <laughs> I'd wait and I'd wait for a cool nerdy show or a cool you know, nerdy uh, yeah. uh, movie to go and see. And, and now there is no waiting. And so yeah. and like we just have so much of it. And uh, I think that filters down to the kids as well. Mm hmm. And so there's a bit of a concern there. Like we we are, we are kind of like um, we're kind of like those hovering people from WALL-E that, yeah. you know, have their sippy cups and their floating chairs and
0: isn't that terrifying?
1: it's it's really terrifying like we
0: don't want to get up off our butts and i do this like i've realized that with every convenience that is introduced to me like how much closer to that i'm getting like digital games on my even on my xbox i'm just i'm too lazy to get up and grab the disc where i was the person who was so thrilled to like kind of portray my collection of games i had the tower the, the the dvd tower case and everything with all right. my games and so but those go away and they give way to convenience and yeah i just i guess i i, I sort of end up putting a, a major emphasis on trying to be active whenever i can and i'm curious if that's sort of an approach that you've taken as, as well or is that part of just being on on tv and on on camera is that part of where being active comes in or like where where does the activity come into play for somebody who spends such a vast majority of his time professionally uh, in front of entertainment?
1: That's an excellent question. Um, I, I mean, I... Just doing push-ups but, every
0: time you die? Like, just doing like the <laughs> gamer's workout, like, I, get up and do I, some squats? I, I
1: should be doing that. I, there I aren't, should have too, been, man. <laughs> there have been phases where I've uh, set a timer and I've done a little bit of exercise every hour or something yeah. like that. I'm certainly not that that regimented right now. Yeah. Um but, um, I think one of the things that I endeavor to do with the work that I do is take it outside,
0: yeah, you know, yeah, uh,
1: and that is a part of reviews on the run, that's a core tenet, and mm-hmm. it's um it's also a part of what electric playground was built off of like we You're you know everywhere st- stubbornly go and try to visit people in their space as much as possible, yeah, and I I'm flying in the face of modern convention because the more and more that I see in terms of, you know, what is generating traffic, the more I see that people are taking the very easy way out. It's a reflection of the way that we play our content. Yeah. It's just somebody sitting in a, in a space pontificating.
0: Yeah. And then I, I don't know being, what you're talking about, Vic.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then it's being viewed that way. And so it's, it, it's, yeah. it's not only a, um, a, uh, a conceptual echo chamber, but it's also a, a, a very much a visual echo chamber as mm-hmm. well. And we're seeing that. And, it, and I, I think it's, I think it's a bit destructive because I feel like we're forgetting how to have conversations outside of our bubbles. Yeah. Um, and that you can take that to every, extreme that you want to um, with modern media right now. But uh, as it pertains to what we do, it really chaps my ass that we don't we have forgotten how to communicate with people that risk the act of creating things, you know, it's hard to build things. And I really hate watching video content uh, on YouTube with people just pissed off and taking Individuals apart, like I've watched a bunch of videos of people just slamming Todd Howard, and I just think, yeah, this individual has given the world so much joy and entertainment, and has endeavored through his work and through his team's work to to build really wonderful things—a um, living
0: legend and a future Hall of Famer. If there was ever,
1: yeah, and it's not even about that. the, yeah, it's not even the platitudes. It's just the the effort that yeah. he has done for twenty years, you mm-hmm. know, and and. He doesn't need to be put on a pedestal, but he definitely deserves more respect than being called out to be, a, you know, some kind of crook or some kind of, uh, you know, sellout or what. You know, it's just so small, and I feel like um, i i don't I don't like the confines of the way that people produce like that. You know, mm. and it and it drives me nuts that that becomes. You know, such a prominent part of the dialogue around games, and and how people can just sort of share that information and watch it and and think that that's that's okay. Well, it's the negativity sort of
0: begets negativity <laughs> for whatever reason. Like the crowd of people yes. shouting and the mob sort of draws a crowd, and it, yeah, because it ta- because it's easier to do that. And I've I've watched you for and listened to you for a number of years, and and face the negativity, but then always shift it to the positivity. You, you've you said a number of times that you're an optimist. And um, I feel like um, in a number of ways, I feel like I should be thanking you for inspiring me to do a thing. And i always wanted to do something a little bit different. But also at the same time, uh, I feel like I need to apologize to you because I, I feel like as part of sort of like an indie content creator, I always want to make sure that I'm doing right by you because you and Scott C. Jones always talk about how if you're going to be doing something like this, you should have something to say. And so I, I never really knew what you meant by that. And I've sort of interpreted that um, in a number of different ways. And this show, I think, is a reflection of of that. And one thing I, I want to say through this show is that there's, that there's more to life than games, but also mm-hmm. that games bind us and we can discover new and amazing friendships through this. Mm-hmm. But we don't always have to be talking about the frame rate or what console is better than what console, but we just like I have made lifelong friends through talking to strangers on the internet. This show's whole basis is sweet hangs with strangers on the internet. And it has led me to this conversation with you. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about like what does it mean to you as as somebody with a platform and and with people who listen, what does it mean to you when you say something like you should have something to say in this space?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think we all endeavor to be in that position and to have yeah. that, and yeah. I, I, I would say that you know, through iteration, everybody is able to find a vehicle. Um, so what I'm saying is keep keep doing it and keep working at it. Um, but I, you know, I also think that. It's, it's important for the individual to, to find, you know, if you want to be a content creator. Yeah. You, you want to be happy with what you're putting your name on, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that, that is, thats that's got to be more important than the platitudes that may come your way. Yeah. No, no person is going to fill that void for you yeah. no comments no you know no applause no award mm-hmm. you've got to know within yourself that you're doing something that that is fulfilling for you and yeah. that you like and that you appreciate you know and uh there's a lot of commentary now there's a lot with youtube and, and twitch and it's a lot of platform opportunity out there for people to get their soapbox out yeah and, you know and there's some really good work there's some great video essays and people spend some time really analyzing um you know events that are happening and what people say you in know in, in the video game industry specifically but there's a lot of stuff happening around uh, other media as well and there's some good work there and and Sometimes the conversation is valid and important and it can be addictive to listen to a lot of that stuff. But I don't know, man, I feel like the art of the conversation is uh, being replaced by the um, less satisfying. uh, Hey guys, what's up? Let's talk about something. Mm -hmm. And there's just one person talking to a camera and trying, trying to inject the uh, you know, the, that sort of missing component of that conversation onto whatever they perceive to be is their audience. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say, and, you know, and if I ever do teach or if I ever do workshops or something like that, um, and maybe I'm just ridiculously stubborn, but I just feel like it's important to continue to do what you're doing right now. Is yeah. to have conversations with other people and to try to, um, dive in like that. That's so much more fulfilling for me because I, I feel like we're all in this sort of bite size, um, grab information kind of reality now. Right. We but at the same,
0: it. isn't it, isn't it, it like, cause that's the easy thing to do. So everybody does it, but doesn't it seem like. If you just go just a little further, then you're like you're miles above everyone else. You know what I mean? Like not to say that that this is better or anything, but I just like in order to stand out or to differentiate yourself, you just gotta do something just a little bit different because there's so much of of the same out there.
1: I think you just have to be um, you know, passionate and articulate you need to listen
0: yeah
1: um, you know I think come with some some good questions yeah. for who, who you're gonna talk with um, I think try to you know create different types of things so it's not the same thing all the time yeah for your own sanity and for, oh, that's for sure and to also keep your um, you know your listeners or your viewers, Intrigued about what your next process is going to be or what your next step is going to be.
0: Yeah, um, I uh, I used to ask everybody how they like their how they got into video games, and I always thought that like the origin story was the most interesting thing ever. And then I then I realized that there was maybe one the the, the person would give me probably one of five different on ramps into video games. Yeah. It was either Pokemon or Atari or NES or whatever. So it was, that that kind of got a little bit old, but it was always like, it always was um, a nice way to kind of get to know somebody at least from their baseline and then kind of get into like, I, I've talked to people about some, some pretty amazing things, people with their relationship with their parents or lost pregnancies and so many things have been, it's just like, where, how did this happen? It was because of video games. And, but when I get us, when I, when I talk with you here and, and as, as somebody who's listened to you for a number of years as well, I do get the sense that you, you you sort of like wear the weight of the world or at least the video game world sort of on your shoulders and that there's a certain responsibility that you do you feel that you owe the industry in a certain sense or I, I, maybe I'm reading too much into that but it does seem like there's a there's a responsibility that that you hold as a single person or individual um, that you that you want to change the direction or save the face of the industry is that is that safe to say?
1: Well, I, I don't feel like I can do that. I right. feel like, you know, it, see, the- it does
0: seem like, a, like a futile effort, but it still seems like there's, <laughs> like, like <not> to-
1: <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, it, 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 um, it, it drives me crazy that we know who Ninja is and we don't know who Tim Sweeney is.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: You know, and I, it's not to disparage streamers or other YouTubers or anything like that, but yeah. Um, and it, and it it, it, it isn't even about trying to put game developers into the hero role. You know, I right. don't think that has served game development either. Um,
0: why is that? Do you think that we've seen some strange stuff happen in that yeah, case? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah no, yeah, no, I think it's not, it's unhealthy to hero worship anybody, anybody you know, yeah. I, I think it's, it's healthier to have a, a real respect for, the art and the act of of creativity Mm -hmm. and um and to uh remember that you you know work that gets made by a group of people or a team of people or a large team of people is um incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. you know and i feel like we live in such a binary age you know i just posted the uh, review of uh captain marvel Uh, On Blu-ray, and the movie didn't blow me away. Right when I when I saw it in the theater, but I, you know, obviously I walked in with my critic hat, and you know I wanted to be sort of entertained, and I had some preconceptions of how a Marvel movie should go. Yeah, and I I I wasn't blown away, but you know there were things that I enjoyed about it, and then I watched it again on Blu-ray, and I liked it a lot more, and it Mm -hmm. was because I could I could compartmentalize a lot of the stuff that I already knew or went in all the preconceived stuff. I could just watch it kind of with fresh eyes. Yeah. Uh, but I posted in and I, I have a bunch of dislikes right now. You know, it's just, it's a small sampling. It's not like it's, it's been watched by tons of people or anything like that, but there's this kind of attitude that exists. That's so binary. It's so mm-hmm. like this sucks and this, or this, this sucks or this is awesome. Yeah, this, it's is the best awesome. Thing this is ever. Nothing yeah. else
0: is worthwhile.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think it's a really destructive kind of attitude. And it's also a really dismissive attitude towards the people that work hard to entertain us, you know, Mm -hmm. and we also are glutted with entertainment. So I think that all comes, we we're glutted with entertainment. Reality TV has shifted to YouTube. Uh, Everybody's an expert and everybody wants um, a a piece of, uh, of the fame pie, you know, and so that's created a really volatile kind of concoction out there. And so I I have this kind of unique position of having done the same thing for 25 years and have been a part of, uh, you know, helping to change some perception around the way video games are discussed and communicated mm-hmm.
0: about. I. I do get the sense that like, lately, sort of, I, 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 like, I think people might be starting to get sick of the negativity. Like, I don't. Maybe it's just me in my own little bubble, but it does seem like there's just we're we're getting a little bit tired of the infighting. You yeah. Know, and it, and it, and it again, like it doesn't really take much effort just to sort of like switch the switch over to the positive side and start to celebrate things. I think even Greg Miller did a nice job a number of years ago when he won his, his award at the game awards and reflected on thanking the people who make the games. And it's yep. too bad that we don't, it, that's a tough speech, I think, to follow up. Um, but I believe that you and him, uh, share that spirit of, celebrating the people who make it not necessarily making a hero out of anybody, but just sort of like introducing something else for us to focus on. Maybe we're just a bunch of zombies that just like, we don't even know what to be excited about. And we're just waiting for somebody to highlight or spotlight. something. Well, well, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely
1: right, Sean. I mean, like what, what do we want to do? Do we, do we want to inspire people to be, um, you know, commentators, right. You know, or do we want to inspire people to create the next generation of, of uh, interactive entertainment you know
0: i think of i mean forgive the analogy but i i think of you and and the the ep crew as sort of like the metallica of of commentators because they metallica looks at everybody and went well we taught everybody how to play a power chord but like then they that's all they end up learning maybe (laughs) like it takes (laughs) another it takes that level of musicianship to take that to the next level and actually evolve upon it and there's a lot of people who look to you and your and your team and sort of like mimic but don't evolve it to the next level so you have this multiplier effect
1: that, well here, I, I think we have we have reached peak amount of people talking about video games okay I, some we really might don't, take that as a challenge <laughs> we, we really don't need one more person in the boat Probably you know true. We, yeah. we really don't yeah uh, unless you know no I don't, I don't think we need one more person in the boat right now i yeah. think what we do need are um the the uh, financial avenues for really talented teams to build us things that will challenge our perception of what Mm -hmm. video games are. And the only way that we're going to get there is through growth and through financial success uh, of the medium. And I don't think we as an industry have created enough mainstream um, avenues to make that happen. Yeah, we've, we've, op, you know, we've had some breakout successes, like Fortnite, or yeah. Clash of Clans, you know, in the mobile space. Sure. But but those have been, um, it's almost like they, they've been, uh, you know, like, some somebody struck oil or something like that, or struck gold. And right. there's been a bit of a gold rush mentality for these kinds of things. And I've said this a lot is that I'm really worried about the perception of, um, uh, the value of this entertainment and that, that content should just be free and we should just accept it. And, uh, um, and it's really hard to reach mass people unless it is a free to play type of experience. But I feel like we were on the road through our efforts with electric playground and Jeff's and spikes with, uh, game trailers and and uh, g4 we were on the road um and ign on the road to shifting kind of discussion around games so that they were culturally relevant in comparison to the rest of media that was happening and these were games that were made by you know fifty to 100 people or whatever and they cost 60 or 70 dollars all of which was too expensive was too expensive to make too expensive to sell but we we're on the road talking about games as a value proposition worth your time worth your energy and a- as culturally significant as anything else that's out there and then you know what sort of happened is that the communities have all become incredibly fractured much more so than just the um the console wars uh, yeah. and now we have games that exist on their own as they, as like, they are a platform for like right. you could point at, um, and they try to consume everybody's time, but it's all free quote unquote. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to like roll the clock back, but it's frustrating for me to, see where we were headed with all of this. Like, I'll give you a great example. When, when Uncharted 2 came out. Oh yeah. That was one of the easiest pieces of entertainment to show anyone, any human Mm -hmm. and say, this is the future. Yep. This is what is achievable when you're thinking about, uh, you know, a linear story with some understanding of stuff that's come before, but you can also control the protagonist and you are, embedded within this adventure as well we did not get a whole bunch of studios capable of creating games at the level that uncharted 2 came out with Mm -hmm. we got a few and i think that's tragic i think that we shifted over to um publishers being a little risk averse and not spending tons and tons of money uh, you know, I would say that the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 generation probably um, delivered a lot more innovative uh, gameplay concepts than we got even in, this, in the PS4 and uh, Xbox One era. We got some good games. yeah. Um, but I think a lot of the innovation shifted over to indie games. And indie games are phenomenal, but they're not going to be the games that kind of break into the mainstream and get everybody super hyped up about them. I yep. think where the biggest innovations came from in terms of uh, you know people talking about video games was in um, free to play, and um, I think there are major problems with free to play. I think yep. that uh, uh, you know if it's if it becomes a big success, then there there is no end to game development, and um, you run out into a very you know analogous kind of situation where you have developers working. Tirelessly, just iterating and iterating on software, a, a lot like the uh, the sports teams have had to deal with and contend with over the years. And I, 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 you know, I created EP, and you know, Jeff, I think, and you know, everybody that sort of tried to get into the space to shine the spotlights on it when that wasn't being done we were all doing it to try to i think grow the cultural acceptance of the medium You had and a pretty think-
0: clear goal like a pretty clear gap to fill when you when you entered into the space but i guess what that allowed other people to do is um like they we what where, what is left for anybody else where where else can we take it other than to try and further that when we've been sort of derailed you brought up jeff a couple of times and i want to ask you a little bit about either jeff Keeley or or the ign crew or anybody else who you may have been sort of rubbing up shoulders against as you guys were this pack of pioneers in this area yeah. how important how important has independence been to you over the years why not why not partner in a sort of significant way i remember there was a, a tweet conversation between you and pierre at IGN and I jokingly jumped in and said something like, Oh, this is the, um, the IGN Canada branch. That's going to kind of come off. Like, (laughs) has that ever like, has, has there partnerships ever or opportunities ever come up that you've, uh, entertained particularly as things have changed for, for your company? Uh,
1: I mean, I've, I've had a lot of interesting discussions over the years for sure, but media is a very tricky place right now. It's, it's not like, you know, I mean, every outlet out there is trying to contend with the fact that information is free and, and kind of valueless. Um, well, yeah,
0: that's, that's the balance, right. If, of yeah. making it accessible to everybody because we should all be fair and equitable. Everybody should have the thing, but yeah, yeah you all, you inherently remove the value of it.
1: Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I, honestly, like, I think that's kind of what's happened is that there, yeah. there has just been a, a, a uh, real uh, destruction of value across media in all forms um do you think then, nintendo
0: has has the history and then maybe the stubbornness the to maintain that i think about how
1: uh, i think they'll be another- the last ones to kind of stave off i you know we're about to go into a whole other th- this is one of the beautiful things about yeah. what what i do as well you know and It it has been freaky to to to, to kind of shift into this kind of YouTube age that we we have moved into. Yeah. um, After so many years of creating a linear show and just shipping a show, Um, but it's also been pretty phenomenal in terms of new, you know, education and new opportunity. And and I've been it's there's a freedom with being able to create in this space, which is really exhilarating. Nice. Um, But we're about to. And to a whole new other way that we contend with games and the way that we think about games, which is going to shift us into what is happening in movies and television and music with, sh- with streaming. Yeah. And it's going to completely ratify the business again. And that's yep. another component of what makes my career so crazy fun and <laughs> and, and stressful and weird yeah. and um, challenging, uh, but never boring. You know, because I don't know what is about to happen, but I don't know that um, free to play and I don't mean to come off sounding like free to play is my enemy. I I just feel like what it effectively did and and, and I don't think there was another way to do this. I mean, once that the Pandora's box was opened on on mobile games Mm -hmm. and people started to see that you can, you know, uh, through analytics, just really dive into people's pocketbooks and make money from whales. That was going to be something that everybody was going to explore in in the game industry. That's yeah. the way that the game industry always works. They they see something that is working, whether it was an arcade game back in the '70s or a Nintendo, you know, 2D platformer in the '80s, and and they <laughs> they riff on it, you know, yeah. and they they try to you know, reverse engineer it and make it their own. And they, they keep sort of twisting it and, and pulling at it and tugging at it. I think we have peaked with it. Um, I think that the, uh, now the, the very public kind of response to microtransactions and loot boxes and all of this stuff. Yeah, we had um, enough. Yeah, people are starting <laughs> to use the lack of that as uh, a selling feature in a kind of a traditional box product kind of idea. So mm-hmm. it's like we, we open this, this box, pandora's box we said okay well you don't have to spend up front but you know there's a whole bunch of other things that you're going to want to buy and then um people got kind of tired of of uh how in our face a lot of these monetization schemes have been in games and so we're pulling that pulling that away of, again trying to take a step backwards but i don't know how we can do that effectively and that was mm-hmm. one, of, one of my issues here it's like you guys showed us where games could go and then you really changed everything and then a lot of studios went under that could have made those things and a lot of little small startups came out that tried to follow what the new trends were and which was a lot of uh, you know free to play mobile games and so lots of these little companies picked up tried to do that then VR came into the equation and everybody got some financing to make a bunch of VR games but nobody really bought the headsets you know on mass and so it's just become this fractured business you know and mm-hmm. I, I i talk about it every day so i and i know people across the entirety of the spectrum so i see it happening firsthand and all i want are some good freaking superhero games you know <laughs> i don't I like I like uncharted 2 quality and bet. like i want like batman arkham comes out it's like yeah this is amazing like yeah i want a flash game that's like this now when do we get that and you know, and I just I want more of that kind of like let's reach for what we can achieve with this medium uh, through you know storytelling and character creation and and uh, uh, action adventure uh, game designs. and we've certainly hit some of those highs for sure. Yeah. I'm not saying that we're we're bereft of that. and i I don't think we can have every game be the same. I don't think we can only have superhero games. But it's incredibly telling. I had a I had a conversation with a um, um, a Warner Brothers exec that I've known for years, and I, I I said, "Look, there's a studio that should be making one of your superhero games," and I, I connected them. And as part of that that conversation, he said to me that there just aren't enough teams that can make. That kind of game because I was pitching them three or four different superhero things that I want. See, I, this know, is what
0: I meant. You're taking like the responsibility of the industry, like on well, your I shoulders. Know, I, <laughs> I know everybody,
1: dude. I, <laughs> I love I've, it. No, of I've course. been in the business for 25 years, and, and the, these are the things that, like, as someone that's reported on this for 25 years, I know. And as somebody that's been kind of solitary in the space of creating television content, which yep. is really difficult. Like people yeah. take it all for granted now, but. It was really hard to, like, crack into TV and get a show out there. Uh, now anybody with a camera thinks they're making a TV show. But the, sure. the, there were a lot of bottlenecks and a lot of, like, gatekeepers that we had to appease along the way. And we were able to do that, and we learned a lot through that. But, I, you know, as part of the, you know, contract that I had with these TV uh, companies, it, I needed to kind of suggest to them on a regular basis that the medium was, you know, moving forward by leaps and bounds and we were going to be playing games that looked, uh, you know, approximately like Pixar movies and yeah. they were just going to get better and better and better. And to a degree, we have done that, but not to the degree that I would like. And yeah. honestly, that would benefit the business the way that I would like. You know, want like Naughty Dog shouldn't be this solitary beacon out there, you know, and, and and I've been right there as all of these great companies have dropped. And I I also think like, how do you make VR sell without Star Wars all over it, you know, like without an X-Wing versus TIE fighter experience? Why why does the business constantly try to create, uh, you know, a whole new concept and a whole new brand? And not that we, we we need them. We need new IP all the time. But there's all of this existing IP, specifically, you know, what Marvel has been working on and Disney has been working on at Star Wars and that's just sitting there that's already got built in billions of dollars worth of marketing and awareness and acceptance and
0: brand value.
1: Do you think that it's
0: just a matter of time then? Is that why we sort of get these like one or two video game movies a year where at some point we're going to look at video game movies like, Oh, remember the good old days when it was like mortal Kombat and assassin's creed, but we'll be in the, I don't know, the God of war, uh, cinematic universe or whatever it is like because so it's, the, actually, it's a switch will be
1: flipped movie. and we'll start to get good video game movies
0: maybe we're just a deluge of them and whether or not they're good or not could be up for debate as well as the comic book movies i'm sure are yeah. up for debate now so maybe it's just maybe it's just a matter of time and how long the the industries have been around like comic books have been around for a long time well video games well yeah sean more.
1: but that's that's what i'm a little bit worried about is that i don't want the video game medium to to be as um you know, culturally forgotten as comic books have been, you know, as like the
0: comic books themselves, not the, yeah, the comic book industry
1: Mm -hmm. seems to, uh, you know, it, it, it's still thriving. There's incredible work, but it's hard work and it's, you you know, it's, it, it, it's not making as much revenue as it should, you know, for all of the incredible creative stuff that, that is coming out of these books.
0: How is, um, is Comic Con doing these days? And and I asked that in in comparison to we're just hot off the heels of E3 and a lot of negative conversation coming off of E3 and with me yeah. being super Sally Sunshine these days, trying to ward off depression and everything else and try and be a light for other people. Just trying to be, I'm just trying to see like the brightness and everything, Vic, as much yeah. as I possibly can. And I look at E3 and I see a lot of. It's almost like the self fulfilling prophecy that we're creating with a lot of loud voices saying how how crappy E3 is now and how everybody's abandoning it. And it's like, are we creating a case in a very loud way for E3 to just go away? And then I think about comics, as you said, uh, as an industry making maybe less and less every year, but the movie's making more. How is Comic-Con doing now compared to E3? Because it seems like Comic-Con is busy as Gal Get Out.
1: Uh, I think it's uh, it's a massive juggernaut. It's, it's Or is that awful... part of the movies? It, it, it's all part of it. I mean, yeah. Comic-Con... Um, You know, I I wasn't going to Comic-Con prior to the movie invasion. We started to go there right as all of that stuff was happening. and You know, Sam Raimi would be there with Spider-Man and Singer would be there with X-Men and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But it it smartly... EP really became a um, uh, kind of a reflection of what Comic-Con was in a way. You know, it was a collection of all of the the interests that a, um, a pop culture consumer yeah. would would be into, you know, yeah. and we, we kind of shifted from being like E three on every week to Comic Con <laughs> on every day. And that's <laughs> oh
0: my God,
1: that's where we should. That's where we should have been. I mean, I, yeah. I, as we, as we kept iterating and growing and getting new opportunities, that that was the natural way for us to kind of grow into yeah, um, well you
0: mentioned before that that uh it was difficult to make the TV show, but it's not like like you weren't taking shortcuts either from a production standpoint from a frequency oh, well, but it also
1: wasn't, it wasn't difficult to make the show in terms of like the actual production of the show. I mean there were challenges for sure, but sure. it was it was um it was a gift the, and we yeah. all treated it that way, you know. And I think you can see that um reflected in the older segments when you watch them that like, everybody mm-hmm. was having an incredible time, but also in Whatever anybody tweets about EP today, you know, at, yeah. uh, with, with that worked on the programming. Everybody knew it then, but really knows it now how yeah. special that opportunity was. What was difficult was convincing <laughs> skeptical people to support us sponsor wise mm. or support us uh, with time slots or um, that was tricky, but the, we, We had kind of nailed a great format and we kept learning and getting better at it and we kept acquiring new deals and partnerships that we could say, look, we've worked with these people for a long time. They're very happy. Maybe you would like to take it as well. Yeah. But I, I, I feel like, uh, you, you know, with the onslaught of YouTube and, and Twitch, that a lot of television programmers just threw up their hands and yeah. and said, well, we can't compete with this, particularly sure. when it comes to information content and particularly when it comes to uh, um, stuff around technology or stuff around um, what they, they deemed, again, as niche-type programming, which mm. is completely ridiculous because if you look at the... You know the amount of releases that are "quote unquote" niche. Um, yeah, they're they're all you know massive successes, mm-hmm. and everybody goes to see all of these things. They're the biggest things out there. Well, um,
0: I remember, I remember looking up because I, you know, I think like many people watching you guys, um, you just want to do it. Because you guys are so natural at it. You stand in front of the camera and you have these amazing conversations that were an elevated version of the playground stuff that we're all having as kids and things. Um, so you almost made it seem like almost like anybody could do it, but nobody was quite as elegant or had the, the vocabulary of you, you and your team. And this dawned on me when I, when I went on the website and I was like, who, who are these people? Who is this Scott C. Jones and who is this Ben Silverman? And I went to realize, oh shit. Scott wrote for Playboy and stuff and Ben wrote, writes for Yahoo. And um, so my point is not to stroke the egos, but to, I want to ask you, like, at what point did you realize that you needed to have like really qualified people for this programming? Like the easy way it would have been just to get some Joe blow off the side of the street and have everybody located in Vancouver. Hmm. But you quickly went international and you went international with qualified people journalists writers reviewers of all walks of life so i'm kind of curious how that all came to be
1: well i i I knew that if they had an ability with crafting you know stories and and putting words together around their their thoughts in in these directions that they would also be able to um you know, improvise on in front of the camera and be unscripted mm-hmm. and be articulate and, and ask intelligent questions. Yeah. And I, I don't know, man, like I always wanted to build content that, that, uh, I was really proud of. Yeah. And I, I wanted to bring people in that felt equally a- attached to that idea, you know, mm-hmm. and wanted to have the platform and the opportunity to showcase what they were, uh, capable of you know, and, yeah. um, I, I could have taken an easy road and, and cast pretty people and put them into a show. And I think a lot of TV producers have done that, but I, yeah. I, I wanted something of resonance. I wanted to build something that, that, uh, you know, and it started with Tommy, it started, you know, Tommy, wasn't a TV guy. He, I, I was the first one to put him on in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. But somebody gave me a good piece of advice that I should hire somebody that the industry knows and, um, uh, and can carry themselves well in front of the camera. Yeah. And so he was a bit of a, a, a risky choice from a conventional television producing kind of standpoint, yep. but he was a very natural fit in the show. And he really helped me to understand, um, the value of an endemic personality, somebody that, mm-hmm. uh, already could speak the language that. We wanted the viewer to feel like they were uh, being brought into as yeah. opposed to talking down to them or right over analyzing or over explaining things we assumed that the audience was as smart or smarter than any of us mm-hmm. and they would keep up with the conversations that we were gonna have and that you know honestly when I I hired Jade Raymond she was very skeptical because she didn't want the TV thing and she, she thought okay well you know you're you um, uh, I'm a, You just want to bring in some somebody that's good-looking and, and uh, um, has been in the business. I said, no, I can hire anybody good-looking, Jay. That's not a problem when you're yes. a TV producer and you've got an opportunity to hire somebody. There's lots of good-looking people out there. What I want is somebody that's going to be able to have a conversation with these developers um, that is going to be one-to-one with them and have an understanding and an appreciation of what they're working on and what they're – working towards and no, uh, i
0: think you're right about that one i think she might be going places like that, I think you might well, be.
1: And, and she she came on board and we had a blast you know and we yeah. did silly things with her that she didn't know she was signing up for but she had a great time with it and at the core of it you know were these these fun you know authentic conversations and yeah. uh so you know slowly bit by bit when tommy left to do video games live that put me into a, you know, a bit of a, a worry, worrisome situation because I've done so much work with Tommy, but I, I I had the really amazing opportunity to kind of, uh, uh, do what Roger Ebert did when Gene Siskel passed away and, and he worked with a whole bunch of different guest reviewers. And I did the same thing, um, when Tommy left and, and that really gave me a lot of strength in, um, finding that talent i knew all, all of these guys already i'd already met them i think steve had written for the electric playground website i know mark saltzman had done some stuff for the ep website um and when i saw jeff uh at all of these different events um and i already knew how prolific he had been as a writer uh i felt confident that he would do great in front of the camera and boy was mm-hmm. i right with that and um jones was hilarious when i would see him at events and i thought this guy would be really charming like I, I tried to figure out how to get in touch with him when i was out in new york for uh, toy fair one year and we shot some reviews together and he thought i was nuts and the whole thing was nuts <laughs> but he was he was <laughs> happy he with yeah, he was happy with how it all turned out
0: yeah and
1: uh you know ben was always cracking me up at all these different events that i went to jose jose it, is Rick? the
0: fan story jose yeah, is like was,
1: he was just pure positivity and pure mm. passion and, and uh, just a wonderful person. And he, he was a, he was a PA. He was a production assistant with us for a while. And we gave him a shot to go in front of the camera for some wrestling stuff. Cause he was the only one of us that oh knew anything gosh. about wrestling. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then he, uh, he just flew like a little birdie and he, he no was kidding. awesome. And Stephen How... Raju, uh, um, I took some, um, suggestions from, uh, some pr folks across canada about you know some ideas for people that we should talk to um and so i talked to those guys when we were hiring the toronto crew uh you know everybody's got an interesting story uh, julie Stoffer was somebody that we actually auditioned and she had done a lot of real world uh stuff with mtv and so she'd already done this reality tv kind of thing and so we were a little we were uh, enthusiastic about the idea of having somebody on the team that would uh, come with some pre-recognition, um, yeah. and that would be a benefit to people being curious about the show. But more importantly than that, she was just really comfortable and very honestly curious when she did um, the mock interviews that we, we shot for her audition, mm-hmm. and uh, she ended up being terrific. You know, Yeah, Vick, it's, I, yeah.
0: I want to be mindful of your time as well, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about in your TED talk to sort of like bookend this a little bit. Yeah. um, You talked about uh, you're an optimist in that life is maybe 90 years long and and maybe we can expect to live for 90 years. You talked about the first 30 years of life being discovering who you are and then the 30 to 60 being sort of establishing who you are and then the the remaining 30 years um, enjoying the person that you become. Yeah. And I don't know if you've really ever given much thought in, into the, the TED Talk and sort of the way that you've lined things up, but I wanted to reflect that back at you a little bit to see you're in second phase two of this three-phase thing. How how is like how are you establishing who you are in, in your own words? Uh, I, how does I that think, work for Victor Lucas? Uh,
1: that's a good question. I, I think when uh, people see the... The content that I make, um, I think that they see that there's a, a resiliency there and a commitment there, uh, and likely a stubbornness and a, and a, like a holy crap, how is he still doing this kind of quality? I was going to
0: ask that, so I but I I...
1: <laughs> I. but I I I love what I do, yeah. and I feel confident in my ability to do what I do, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that the act of doing things leads to the opportunity to do more things. And so that's the commitment that I've made. So I, you know, I feel I don't have anything to prove to anybody. Yeah. And so that's a very comfortable sort of position to, to be in, to be able to build new material. Yeah. Um, I feel pretty confident that, uh, you know, not everything that I I work on. I, I like or everybody likes, but I try, um, but I feel pretty confident that, you know, at least some of the time we make stuff that is actually, you know, quite resonant and quite, Mm -hmm. quite impactful and quite unique, you know? Um, And a a large part of it is due to my ridiculous vantage point, my very strange, you know, longevity that I've had with all of this. It's it's so uh,
0: Canadian for you to be so self-deprecating like that like it's it's special it's very it's 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 something very earned and um i wanted to ask you one other thing too um about about dreaming at the end of this ted talk you talked a little bit about encouraging your daughter to dream big and this was you know especially if you watch i encourage a lot of people listening to this to go over and to listen to it because it was um you're very good at inspiring people and this was this this was sort of like the mic drop it was uh that are 3d rules don't be a dick don't dick around and don't hang out with dicks which i absolutely love i think i need to make like a like a poster on the wall with i don't know like a motivational speaker or a motivational poster kind of thing but at the end there's like this secret like there's actually a fourth d and it's dare to dream and so um, i i wanted to ask you at this stage um because I, I didn't want to necessarily focus too much on the things that you've done, but what are you dreaming to do next? Where do, where, where's your vision taking you next?
1: I mean, I, I, I like the idea of building up again, um, but learning from, you know, using the vantage point that I've been acquiring as well. Yeah. And so slowly but surely, I keep having conversations with different now is um because there's still an element of partnership or you know people um seeing value in what we do and saying, okay, well let's let's figure out how to partner with you. Mm-hmm. Um but it's it's not the same. It's because everybody's much more gun shy about what they invest in. And yep. there is this attitude that that exists right now. Um particularly with regards to marketing is that they they're everybody's paying for commercials pretty much you know they're paying for content that's you know a commercial and a lot of people seem to be um just over the moon with the idea of having some kind of a brand deal and like that's the the height of success now and i've been doing this a long Mm -hmm. time and i can tell you right now that it is not the height of success it is just it is just a thing You know, and you can get carried away in basically, um, you know, selling your objectivity and selling your real authenticity and your value and and to just, you know, pimping out something. And I don't want to do that, you know. Um, I'm working hard to try to not become an agency and uh, uh, still have some editorial distance and some editorial kind of um, objectivity and authenticity there. Mm -hmm. I I would like to... um, have another spin at building a, a small team. Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking about. Um, and uh, passing on some of the the lessons that I've learned and having it, it's an, an incredibly uh, it, you know it's an, it's an amazing gift that I've been able to have really cool experiences building uh, you know the show f- around my ideas and my dreams. Uh, but then also to share them with people and mm-hmm. um, to watch these individuals really, you know, just enjoy it and, and bask in it and love it. And it's a little heartbreaking, but it's also a beautiful thing to to know that a lot of these folks, uh, y- you know, reflect on it very fondly and they miss it and they, they would love for it to, to happen again. But I, you know, I can't just flip a switch and it, and it all all automatically does happen again for other people, but it is a really, it's a, it's a, it's a very satisfying thing for me to know that people have been able to love these opportunities that I've given them. And so I would like to be able to give opportunities again, um, maybe to people that I've worked with before, but also to definitely to some, some new people and, Mm. uh, I don't know, to grow the content um, in, in, in ways that I really feel passionate and, and strong about, you know, um, in a collective and with uh, people being able to have their own voices around all that stuff. So, um, I, so I don't know exactly what that turns out to be, whether it's yeah. a television show like we know them conventionally. Um, or it's some kind of a hybrid or it's just a digital thing. Um, but I'm really happy with this opportunity that I get to make EP live and I have guests coming in and I have, uh, uh, people coming into the audience sometimes. And, and, uh, it's, it's really crazy. You know, it's really fun. I'm, I I still get to be a media outlet and still (laughs) get to do all of these, these very cool, uh, you know, adventures and, and, um, you know, have this wonderful access to individuals out there. So I, I'm really happy with what I do. And I guess what I would like to do is to grow it a little bit so I can share that with other people and then, mm-hmm. um, watch them kind of flourish in that, you know? I do know that I
0: can't wait for the show to land on Netflix. Um, That's obvious. (laughs) That's the obvious next place is for it to just stream every day. A new episode would happen on Netflix, Canada, at the very least. Um, You know, as we started the conversation, talking a little bit about your daughter I'm, I'm, as you're, and you're you're kind of talking about how you've led the way and watched other people, uh, you want to sort of pass the torch off to somebody else. I'm reflecting on how that is very much like parenting and how, um, this nascent new generation of commenters who are um, putting their voice out into the world and learning as they go, whether they're misguided or or seemingly misguided or just sort of learning as they go. And and whatever form that takes when you're from the outside looking in, it can look like it's completely misplaced intentions, but really it's just trying to figure things out as a new generation, kind of figuring it out. Sure. Um, I just, I, I can't help but draw the comparison from all the best intentions that we might have for our kids and then they grow up to be something completely different and with all uh, hope, they do something positive with what has been given to them. And I guess I sort of wish that upon this generation, the YouTube generation, that hopefully somebody will figure something out really great and that that will sort of like spark a new thing for us to focus on. Similarly to the... uh The five year old soccer that all the game developers are doing when Grand Theft Auto comes out. And then all everybody chases um open world stuff. And then Breath of the Wild comes out and everybody's gonna be chasing that Battle Royale and everybody's chasing that. But even though the crowd is kind of following along, there's always gonna be something special that comes up. So there'll always be a an IGN, a Victor Lucas, a I don't even I don't even know who it is at this point. I think
1: kinda funny is incredible, man. Kind of funny, good point. Yeah, well I think that I think that they're wonderful and, and uh you know, the, the one thing that's tough about where we've been based in Vancouver, it's so bloody expensive in Vancouver. That it, I don't know you how know, you do it, man. Well, we, we started here, you know. I've been here for yeah. 40 years. and You know and, cheap uh, Edmonton
0: is? It's real cheap. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> We have we have family in Edmonton. We you could about, retire
0: here. Just just sell everything and you're done. Like you're good for the next like
1: 35 years, man. Well, there, there's a lot of other benefits from being in Vancouver, though. Oh, you know, course. like there's a lot yeah. of content that gets made here, and we have mm-hmm. access to a um, creative community that's um, especially for in this partnership with Vancouver Film School. It's pretty damn wonderful. Cool. Yeah. I just don't have this surplus of um, uh, of people that are wanting to. Collab and build things mm-hmm. like that here, you know? Um, well, come save
0: BioWare. If you could just like drop everything, come to Edmonton and just take that <laughs> responsibility of saving the video game industry and just apply that to BioWare. I would be very grateful. Uh, I'm just waiting for a damn comeback for God's sakes.
1: <laughs> Man, this, the secret is in uh single player story driven experiences with characters and, and uh, cut sequences that propel the story along. And then if you want to get into games as a service you do that as an optional incentive and you know bioware what I, should, I am i'm sorry bioware should have done that you know anthem should have been that. Get back oh yeah
0: okay a dragon age will do it and and there are thankfully there are reminders that there's still a an audience and a market for that y- with uh y- yes with i mean spider-man is obviously a comic book um but outer worlds i am so stoked for Vic. incredible I yeah i think it's going to be absolutely amazing so we're in for a good year. Um, I want to get let you get to the rest of your evening and and quickly say that um, I know you've inspired me and and countless people who are uh, listening to this and I am so appreciative for every piece of content that you've made. My wife and I have forged our relationship watching um, your content over dinner day to day. Um, so I just wanted to let you know um, that sweet. I really appreciate Thank it. You. Thank yeah, you know so it's, much. It's an honor to be able to chat with you this evening, and um, I'm really grateful for your time.
1: That That is so sweet, man. I, I mean, if, if I can pass on anything, it's just that remember that people make the things that you uh, want to enjoy. And yeah. so when you approach that stuff, especially if you're, you know, working towards becoming – and I'm not saying this to you, Sean, but, you know, if, if anybody's listening that's thinking of becoming a uh, – Uh, a commentator or a critic or, or whatever. Uh, just remember that human beings worked to build that. And some of it doesn't always work. And some of it may piss you off, but we're not robots. We're Mm -hmm. humans. And, uh, when you're critiquing or commenting, don't forget that. Yeah, man. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you again, Vic. Oh my gosh. I, I'm just very appreciative. Um, And thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thanks for your long-time support. And uh, I can't wait to hear this and to hear more of your stuff and, and keep at it, brother.
0: Well, guys, it's been a great run. Thanks for listening to episode one and episode one, part two. And now episode two. That's all I need to do in life, man. Uh, freaking Victor Lucas, are you serious, man? I think that went okay. I, You can work yourself up when you when you have a big guest like that. But luckily, I've had big guests before, like uh, Ed Placencia on this show. And then Scott Jones on the earlier show. Marissa Roberto was on the other show a few times. Steve Tilly. Man, it's been an amazing journey, this sweet this hang with strangers on the internet. Thank you so much to Victor Lucas for carving out time out of his very, very busy schedule. And um, just chatting about life a little bit. I feel like I hope you guys learned something. I've learned something. I just uh, how can you not just absorb the wisdom and intelligence and vocabulary of Victor Lucas? I am like, was that real? It's a good thing I recorded that because man, I can't believe that just happened. And also, when Victor Lucas calls you brother, something happens to your spirit. I think you're just lifted up a little bit. So thank you to Vic and guys. Remember, if you haven't already, and if you're if you just just follow on. Twitter at Victor underscore Lucas. That music to kick things off in case you were wondering. Uh if it was triggering a little memory, that was an F Zero track off of OC remix called Muted Skyline. And I just I just love it, man i hope you guys enjoyed this if you enjoyed the show and you want to support it you can follow the GamerCast pod uh on twitter you can also follow me sean capri of course sean like connery capri like the pants uh, the second thing you can do you can share this podcast you can retweet it you can talk about it on your podcast the other thing maybe rate us on itunes uh, i don't know exactly what that does but i hear it helps and that would be really you know just if nothing else it would help my ego a little bit that would be really great uh, you can follow me on Twitch because I do streaming Tuesdays and Thursday nights at twitch.tv slash Capri. And last but not least, if you really, really like it, and you've got a couple extra bucks jingling around in that pocket of yours. You can go to patreon.com slash you me Capri, where you'll get bonus content like my solo QA show, my show. My, my friend, that was Bobby and my friend Bobby, all jumbled up into one word. My friend Bobby. The Nintendo Guru himself, we do a monthly uh, show where it's basically like this where Bobby's my guest every week. We talk about life and our motivations and we just released an episode that even just for a dollar you can still go back and get it. Um, talking about Bobby's dad. Amazing stuff. Uh, guys, don't forget to show a little up to Zaranix, Fiona McKinnon, who did the artwork for this show that you're seeing on your podcast app of choice and if you like at all anything that I'm doing, uh, feel free to jump over to the Xbox Drive. The Xbox show that I record from my car and a Nintendo show called If We Were at Nintendo that I do with uh, Bobby, the Nintendo Guru. Otherwise, this is episode 2 of the GamerCast. It's now in your ears. I will see you guys in August. I don't have a guest lined up just yet, but we'll see who is coming, and I'll tease that soon over on the Twitterverse. Otherwise, this is a 16-bit sound effect that I found that seemed to close out a show nicely until one of you suggests another way to close out this thing. So, I will see you guys next month. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>